This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, it's great to see you guys this morning. If you're joining us online, thank you so much. If you're here in the room, we're so uh, glad that you are here. Uh, Happy New Year. Anybody have any uh, New Year's resolutions that you are willing to share? Anyone have a New Year's resolution? Not a lot of uh, ambitious uh, folks at Life Church. Yeah, yes, go ahead. The Whole 30, doing the Whole 30. Yes, let's give it up for Whole 30, yes. When are you starting? It's like September? Tomorrow, okay, even better. Any other uh, New Year's resolutions? Anyone? Yes. To learn Spanish. I like that. That's a good one. Yes. Well, yes. Well, you know, statistically, uh, the five most common uh, New Year's resolutions, uh, exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn a new skill or hobby. Now, these last two I really like. I'm a big fan of the New Year's resolution where it's so generic, you almost can't fail, right? Learn a new skill or hobby. I mean, who's not gonna learn one new thing this year, right? So you're a winner that way. And the last one, even more, live life to the fullest. Whatever that even means. (laughs) Guaranteed success. Uh, But uh, over half of people's New Year's resolutions tend to be about their physical health. Uh, today, we're kicking off a new series called Train. If you have your Bibles, go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, uh, verse 7. It says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. What he's saying is, stop reading conspiracy theories on the internet. Some of you will want to email me about that. Those emails don't even go to me. He said, rather... Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. What Paul here is saying is he's saying, put more time into your spiritual fitness than your physical fitness. Put more energy. He says, hey, it's great to exercise your body, and and that's great, do that. He says, but bodily exercise, while it's great, is only good for this life. He says, but instead, train yourself for godliness. And so in this series, we're gonna be talking about how do we do this. We're gonna be doing a series these coming weeks. Today is just gonna be a brief intro. Uh, But over the coming weeks, each week, we're gonna look at a different one of what you could call spiritual discipline or to use kind of Paul's language here, these exercises where we train ourselves for godliness. This word train uh, can be translated discipline or exercise. In In the New American Standard, it says this. It says, I have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women, although I know old men with worldly fables. It says, on the other hand, discipline yourself. And so instead of saying train, he says discipline. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, holds promise for the present life and the life to come. This word translated discipline or train 
Uh, it's this Greek word gymnazo, where we get our word gymnasium or gymnastics. And so Paul's doing one of my favorite things, using a sports analogy. And he's talking, uh, and so this, uh, in Ephesus, in all the major cities, there would be a, a gymnasium, and, and athletics were a big deal then, and this is kind of around the time so many of these ancient games, like the Olympics, were getting formed, and so this was a big part of the culture. And so Paul says, instead of simply focusing on your physical fitness, which is fine, he says, give even greater energy to your spiritual fitness, train yourself, or discipline yourself. And so we're going to be talking over these next few weeks about these spiritual disciplines. And obviously the word discipline is at the root of this word discipleship or the word disciple, which is at the very root of what it is to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And so these spiritual disciplines are just at the root of what it is to follow Jesus. And I just want to share with you a handful of things as an overview, brief introduction of these spiritual disciplines. Here's the first truth. Spiritual disciplines are the methods. Abiding in Christ is the goal. So these things we're going to talk about over the coming weeks, they're really simply practices, habits, if you will, that are really just meant to help you do this big thing of abiding in Jesus. John 15 and verse 4, Jesus said it this way. He said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Other translations say remain. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, or you can do nothing meaningful, lasting, nothing important. He said, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, so there's this element, obviously, of the scripture and this abiding. He talks about his words. He says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. There's this prayer element, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And so as we think about this abiding thing, these spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits, they are simply methods, and there's really, there's, there's a list I'll share with you in a minute, but there's really many more things that can be on this list. I would define a spiritual discipline as any regular practice in your life where you are intentionally placing your mind's attention and your heart's affection towards Jesus. And so any regular practice in your life where, the, where you are, are intentionally setting your, your mind's attention and your heart's, heart's affection towards Jesus it can be a spiritual discipline. One of the best books, one of the, that's a kind of... Um, a gold standard, if you will, on this topic. It was written by a guy named Richard Foster. Uh, he wrote a book called The, the, uh, the, the Celebration of Discipline, and then another great book by a guy named Dallas Willard, The Spirit of the Disciplines, a couple of great books about spiritual disciplines. But Richard Foster gives three categories of spiritual discipline. The first is, is he would call this, uh, he calls inward disciplines. These are, are, are things that, that are, are focused primarily on my, my inner person, uh, it could be prayer is one. We'll talk about fasting, meditation. We'll talk about these things. And study. We're going to be talking about how to engage God's word. And then there are these outward disciplines of simplicity or, and solitude. 
this kind of slowing down by time by ourselves where we turn our mind's attention, heart's affection towards Jesus, submission, that, that, that thing in my life where I don't have to always get my own way. If I do that unto the Lord, it can actually be a spiritual discipline and serving. And then these corporate disciplines. These are disciplines that we do together in the church as the body of Christ. Uh, it involves confession. Um, the Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another. Worship, which we just did. Guidance or counsel. And then celebration. And, and so, But like I said, that's not an exhaustive list. Really, I believe any regular practice in your life where, where you're intentionally setting your mind's attention and your heart's affection on the things of God can be a spiritual discipline. I believe a big purpose of the spiritual disciplines is simply to get us to slow down. Simply to get us to slow down and, and focus on God. There's a guy named Ronald Boyd McMillan. He wrote this book uh, where he talks about this encounter he had with this Chinese pastor, a famous Chinese pastor, Wang Mingdao, who, who was a Chinese pastor who had been in prison for preaching the gospel. And, and so he was having this conversation with this spiritual giant, and, and the, the pastor asked him this question. He said, young man, how do you walk with God? And then the guy began to list off a bunch of practices, prayer and study and these, these things. And then the Chinese pastor responded, he said, no, wrong answer. To walk with God, you must go at a walking pace. And, and I believe a great purpose of so many of these spiritual disciplines is, is to get us just to get off, get away from the distractions and to slow down and to turn our mind's attention and our heart's affection towards God. Here's second truth. Spiritual disciplines should bring joy and stir my affections for Jesus. You know, I think that in our culture, we hear this word discipline and we have this thought that like we've done something wrong or we've been sent to the principal's office. It doesn't sound like, oh wow, discipline, that sounds great. But really, if I, if these spiritual practices ought to ultimately bring joy and life. Uh, what Jesus it says here in John chapter 15, verse 9, he says, continuing in this abiding talk, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you. And he's going to tell us why. Why is Jesus telling us to abide in him? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus here is saying, He's saying, if you abide in me, if you are, are remaining in me, staying connected to me like a, a vine in these branches, he says, this, that, that's really the purpose of these spiritual disciplines is that there are these practices that help us abide in Christ. He says, the whole reason I'm telling you this is so that you might have maximum joy. And so ultimately, these spiritual disciplines, and you can call them disciplines or habits or rhythms or practices, but ultimately, uh, over the course of time, these disciplines, these habits, they ought to bring life and joy. So Claire and I, um, you know, once a week, it's a, it's a rhythm, it's a habit. You could call it a, a discipline if you wanted to. It sounds less fun if you call it that. But we have a, a habit where every week we, we spend time together, date night or time, date afternoon. And the, you know, this is something we're committed to. It's a rhythm, it's a, it's a commitment. You could call it a discipline if you wanted to, but it's also my favorite part of my week. And, and so there's this thing where, where these, these practices where we just slow down and, and 
place our mind's attention, heart's affection towards Jesus, these ought to bring joy. Even this morning, as I was, as I was spending some time before coming here, I was listening to just some worship. And, and even that practice or, where, where you are just slowing down and experiencing some worship music, singing along, even in your car, with that slowing down, placing your mind's attention, heart's affection towards Jesus, even that moment, there was a sense of, of joy and life in that. There was a famous missionary named Frank Laubach. He was uh, kind of began this practice of, of, of using a teaching people that couldn't read, how, teaching them how to read literacy as an open door to, to share Jesus. Uh, and he said this, he says, if you are weary of some sleepy form of devotion, probably God is as weary of it as you are. Here's the idea, that if, God, if you are not enjoying your time with God, God is probably not enjoying it either. And so that doesn't mean that every time you open God's word or every time you pray, that's gonna be this like overwhelming joy in life, but over the course of your practice, just like every time you chat with your wife, isn't this like amazing, or husband, this isn't this amazing moment of joy in life, but over the, the course of the relationship, there's this increasing closeness and joy and life, uh, really that ultimately the, uh, that our, our should-tos become want-tos that the things we're doing because we should do them, that, that ultimately that doesn't stay that way, becomes a, a desire, a source of joy and life. And now, I, now we're all different. God's made us all different with different personalities. And, and for some people, certain spiritual disciplines or habits or rhythms are gonna be easier than, for, uh, than others, and, and, and you're going to receive greater measures of joy or life from some spiritual disciplines than from others. And, and that's why it's important to, to uh, experiment and, and find the different ways that you experience the most joy and life as you turn your mind's attention and your heart's affection towards Jesus. Here's the third truth. Spiritual disciplines are the exercises transformation is the result. So when Paul says to his young protege, protege Timothy, he says, uh, he says but, but train yourself for the purpose of godliness. So I think it's easy that we, we go into our spiritual practices, habits, or disciplines, we could go into them with the wrong goal. If the goal is simply, simply information and it stops there, you say, well, man, I really learned a lot, and it's good to learn more about God, but, but ultimately the goal isn't more knowledge. Paul said knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so if our goal is simply more knowledge, we're stopping too short, or if the goal is simply to, to check a little box. Uh, my childhood church, they would... They, it's back in the old, you know, old school church, and, and even the kids had these offering envelopes. And uh, because, you know, we, as a seven-year-old, made so much money, you know, and so had these offering envelopes. And on the offering envelopes, there were these little check boxes. Bible read daily. You know, uh, invited a friend. Like these little four or five little, anyone go to a church that believed in the check boxes? Anyone? And, you know, as a seven-year-old, I'm checking all the boxes, even though I did none of the stuff. And the, the grown-ups did the same thing. They're checking all the boxes. But if the goal is just to check a box, we're stopping too short. So it's not simply information, it's not simply just doing the right thing, although there's moments of discipline where we, we do the right thing because it's the right t thing, but ultimately these, these should-dos will become want-tos, they should become sources of life and joy, but the goal here is, is transformation. 
He says, he says, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. So the goal is that as we abide in Christ, that and through this, we're becoming like Christ. We're being transformed. That's really what Paul's talking about in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so this, this word transformed, it's this Greek word metamorpho, and from which comes our English word metamorphosis. Was the word used to describe an embryo growing in, in its, its mother's uh, womb? It's, uh, it's this whole idea of, of transformation. It's this, it speaks of this inward and real formation of the, of the essence of the person. And I think the reason that so many people make New Year's resolutions is that there's something inside of us that knows we're not as complete as we should be. And that we're not who we could become. There's this inner desire for change, right? Now, the, the, nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. Uh, the average person uh, breaks their New Year's resolution the third Thursday in January. You guys have got about two more good weeks. Enjoy those. Enjoy that whole 17. Just kidding. No, I'm cheering you on. I believe you. And uh, I made the whole 24 one year. I did the whole 24. Six days away, just couldn't do it. I got, this, got the shakes. And so... Uh, Pray for me. And so, uh, and so the, uh, but there's this inner desire to, to change. But the, the downside to New Year's resolutions um, is usually they are primarily focused on how can I change from the outside in just through white knuckling it. And, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But what we're talking about here is this inner transformation, this training for godliness as I abide in Christ, these practices where I'm intentionally slowing down, placing my mind's attention and my heart's affection towards Jesus and the things of God, that this inner transformation, this metamorphosis takes place. Uh, John Ortberg, one of my favorite Authors uh, talks about this idea of morphing, and, and he says this. He says, when morphing happens, I don't just do the things Jesus would have done, but rather I find myself wanting to do them. They appeal to me. They make sense. I don't just go around trying to do the right things. I become the right sort of person. So as I live these spiritual practices, that aren't just so I can know more or check a box, but they're for the purpose of abiding in Christ, leading to transformation, that ultimately, it's not just that what I'm doing changes, my desires change. It's that there's this inner transformation. Here's the last point, and I'm done. My New Year's resolution is to preach shorter sermons. Last service, someone whistled, and we had them physically removed from the service. Spiritual disciplines in ordinary moments prepare me for the extraordinary moments. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul, another sports analogy. Paul must have watched a lot of ESPN. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. 
No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There's this kind of this picture that Paul's painting. He says, I, I'm in this training so that ultimately I don't mess up. I don't blow it in those big moments in life. And there's this thing where these spiritual practices are really this preparation there's this, we're preparing ourselves. And this imagery is, is just like an athlete who is, who is you know, in the, in the game. And, and in that, many of us will watch sports this afternoon. And whether it's football or the NBA or whatever is your sport, we recognize that it's not like these guys just showed up on that one day. But that it, what they're doing for that hour or that two hours was, was the result of days and days and months and months and years and years of practice and practice and training and training. I like how Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, he says, the star performer himself didn't achieve his excellence by trying to behave in a certain way only during the game. Instead, he chose an overall life of preparation, of mind and body, pouring all his energies into that total preparation to provide a foundation in the body's automatic responses and strength for his conscious efforts during the game. Those exquisite responses we see, the amazing timing and strength such an athlete displays aren't produced and maintained by the short hours of the game itself. They are available to the athlete for those short and all-important hours because of a daily regimen no one sees. For example, the proper diet and rest and the exercises for specific muscles are not a part of the game itself, but without them, the athlete certainly would not perform outstandingly. Some of these daily habits may even seem silly to us, but the successful athlete knows that his disciplines must be undertaken and undertaken rightly, or all his natural talents and best efforts will go down in defeat to others who discipline themselves in preparation for game time. Little illustration of that from the great Stephen Curry. Check this out. I remember Steph Curry in Memphis in game six making about a 68 or 69 footer. I can still see that kid in the baseline going, oh, <laughs> he broke our hearts. So he oh, is man. without question. We are thrilled, by the way, to have Steph Curry in studio with us on Warriors pregame live. The great Chris Mullen is here. The greatest long shooter without question. You think he's the best. He and Clay are the two best shooters, period, in the history of the NBA. But without question, the, the, the best long-range shooter. So we're going to break down the anatomy. All right. And we call it a half-court heave, but I think when, you don't heave no. the ball. That's the beauty of your long shot. But we're going to start with your pregame prep because, Mully, you love this. We're going to take a look. Actually, going back to the shot. This is the one you made a couple of years ago against Utah. Is that, that's 50 and a half feet. That is, is that your standard jump shot from way out there, Steph? If you looked at, like, basically from the waist up, it's pretty much the same. My momentum's obviously going, you know, full court dribbling, uh, where you're getting your momentum so you can have, you know, that range. But everything above the shoulder is pretty much the same as it is on a standstill jumper. Try to have the same release and same release point, but... Uh, the footwork's a little different, and your momentum's obviously carrying you down the floor, so that's the one where you just got to have a little touch at that point. But that's, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm here. I literally practice that shot all the time, whether you're just in the middle of practice and you have a moment or, you know, during the summers, you practice those all the time. So it's not the first time you do it. Well, that, that's... Any Steph Curry fans? A few. 
The fact is, if we were to all line up, put the basketball goals down and line up at half court and all take turns shooting, the odds of any of us making it are low. But Steph Curry, because he's practiced that over and over and over in ordinary moments, in an extraordinary moment like that, when it's time to, to perform in that moment, it's just like second nature. Uh, Dallas Willard continues, he says, a baseball player who expects to excel in the game, I love this line, without adequate exercise of his body is no more ridiculous than the Christian who hopes to be able to act in the manner of Christ when put to the test without the appropriate exercise in godly living. What he's saying is the idea of you, just average person, showing up, playing in an NFL game this afternoon or an NBA game this afternoon, the idea of you doing it and showing up just without any preparation and it going well for you is absolutely minimal. He says that you'll get your lunch eaten. He says, but the same is the case for us spiritually. To think that, that we're gonna live the life of Jesus without spiritual training is what Paul's talking about. These spiritual habits or disciplines or rhythms, to think that in those, those, those moments of life, those extraordinary moments of life, to think that we're gonna respond in the way of Jesus without this preparation is no more silly than the idea of you showing up thinking you're gonna play great in an NFL game this afternoon. See, here, here's the thing. The way in which I, I respond in moments of incredible difficulty will be determined by my preparation. And so whether that's a moment of incredible difficulty with your kids, where you're like, man, are my kids just like trying to drive me crazy? You ever wonder if your kids like sit back and think, oh, they're strategizing it. How can I make my mom and dad go crazy? Whether it's with your kids, or something at work this week where, where things don't go the way you planned and it's an incredibly difficult moment or a moment where your ethics are being incredibly challenged or a moment of remarkable temptation and it's this incredibly difficult moment. To think that, that you're going to just intuitively respond in the way of Jesus without this thing that Paul calls training for godliness, to think that it's going to come to the way you respond in those moments, both the ordinary moments of life and the extraordinary moments, may say of difficulty, will be determined by your preparation. And the way in which you respond in moments of incredible opportunity will be defined by your moments of preparation. I was chatting with a, a lady in the church before first service, and she was sharing with me how her mom uh, doesn't, her parents don't know the Lord. And how in the past, she would just try to like be always talking to them about Jesus and it caused them to kind of ha just kind of close, they didn't want to talk about it. They made it clear, don't be bringing that up all the time. And, and so she says, I, so I don't. She said, but occasionally my mom will ask a question about God or the Bible. And she says, so I've just got to be ready in those moments of opportunity where I can't bring it up. But if she brings it up, I just try to be ready in that moment to be able to, to share about Jesus. It's, it's those moments of opportunity where the way in which we respond will be defined by the preparation. And so these spiritual habits, these spiritual disciplines that we're gonna be talking about in these coming weeks, they're really these things that prepare us for how we're gonna respond both in life's ordinary moments and in life's extraordinary moments. And so my hope for all of us is that this year that, that we will all take another step 
and what it looks like for us to abide in Jesus and be transformed by him as we take next steps in these spiritual disciplines. Let's pray together. So Father, Lord, we just thank you that that you want to be with us, that you want us to abide in you, to experience your life and your love and your joy. So Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, whatever we call it, God, that you'd help us to be conscious to just throughout the day, throughout the week, just look for moments where we would slow down and intentionally place our mind's, mind's attention and our heart's affection towards you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.